0: let me just say that I am so glad to see all of you here with us this morning. Uh, If you are a guest with us, let me just say thank you so much for being here on this Easter Sunday. And um, we don't believe it's an accident that you're here. We, We don't believe that it's an accident that the Lord has brought you here this day. And we would love to be a part of your journey, be a part of walking with you, be a part of whatever God is doing in your life. And so thanks for being here. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. If you have a Bible, take it and turn to the book of John in chapter 20, um, which Brandy and Dustin have already read for us this morning, and so I won't read it again. And if you didn't have a Bible this morning, there are some underneath the seat in front of you. But what I want us to do uh, for a few minutes this morning is I want us to consider um, the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. Uh, Our sermon this morning is entitled, But I Didn't See Him. But I Didn't See Him. I think we often make much of the desire to have been there, the desire to have seen, the desire to have heard, the desire to have walked with Christ and to have heard His words. But today, we stand generations and centuries away And so the question is, what does the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus have to do with me? And so, if you're not interested in listening to me talk for about the next 30 minutes. By the way, if you're new to Redeemer, when I say 30, that means 45. Um, But if you're not interested in listening to me talk for the next 30 to 45 minutes... Let me, just, let me just put it all out there from the very beginning. You know, journalism says don't bury the lead. So let me just put the lead out there. What we're celebrating today is real. There was a man who was born of a virgin in a town named Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago who was the God-man. He was the son of God. He was the Savior of the world. He was the Messiah whom God sent to redeem his people. And this man, his name was Jesus. He lived in a town called Nazareth, so Jesus of Nazareth. Later, people would confess him to be the Christ, so Jesus Christ. And this man lived. He talked. He walked. He performed miracles. He explained what God was doing in the world. He explained things about the nature of God that had never been explained before in such a way that he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The work, the ministry, the miracles of Jesus got him killed. Jesus was betrayed um, by his people. He was condemned by the leaders of Israel. He was handed over to the Romans to be killed upon a cross. And on what we call Good Friday, which we remember as happening um, three days before Resurrection Sunday, Jesus breathed his physical last on a cross, suffering torment, anguish, pain, hurt, and bearing the wrath of God for the sin of humanity. Laid in a grave, a stone rolled over it, his people are left bewildered, hurting, wondering. Did we win or did we lose? Did Jesus win or did Jesus lose? Has Jesus been defeated or should we have believed in him? And in all of that, it carried and it carried and it built and on Easter Sunday, they went and they saw that he was not there. And he showed up and he said, I'm alive. And what Jesus was testifying to is that he had defeated the biggest enemy in the world, death. And if death is defeated, then sin can be defeated. And if death is defeated, then sinfulness can be defeated. And If death is defeated, there's hope for everyone. And if death is defeated, we don't have to fear what this world brings to us, because Jesus has overcome the world. So that's the message. Jesus has overcome the world. And when he said, come to me, all you who are are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, what he was saying is, come to me, because if you come to me, I will carry you through this life and through everlasting life. So what I want us to do for the next few minutes is I want us to consider the claims that this happened, and I want us to consider why it matters And I want us to consider what it means for us. And thankfully, Jesus tells us all that in this passage. John chapter 20. If you're a note taker, our first point this morning is a matter of death. You know, on Easter, we love to celebrate life, joy, happiness. We break out our pastels. We break out our seersucker. We get out our happy clothes. We match with our kids. We have Easter egg hunts, but the eggs can't be white. They have to be dyed happy colors, right? And all that's good and important. Because life and joy and peace are the fruits of Easter. But if we want to understand the Easter story, it actually begins with death. You see, what's going on in John 20 is a matter of death. It's a matter of this question. Has Jesus been defeated? Has the claims of Jesus been shown to be false? When they put him in that tomb and they rolled the stone in front of it, was he silenced forever? Were we wrong to believe in him? Were we wrong to trust him? Were we wrong to believe that our hope had come? Because if Rome defeated Jesus a cross, then the answer would be yes, we were wrong. And so what's going on at the beginning of John 20 is first and foremost a matter of death, specifically the death of the man Jesus of Nazareth. He was killed. He was killed by Romans at the behest of the Jews. He was put up on a cross where he was tortured and he breathed his last. He was dead, so dead indeed that they didn't even have to break his legs like they normally do to get people on crosses to die. So dead that they stuck him in the side with a sword and he didn't respond. He was dead. So they laid him in a grave and they rolled a stone in front of the grave on Friday evening. And because in the Jewish religion The last thing you would do on a Saturday, the Sabbath, and most importantly, the last thing you would do on a Passover Sabbath is to touch a dead body and become ceremonially unclean. They left him there all day Saturday, all night Saturday night. And John chapter 20 begins with Mary coming as early as the law would permit after the Sabbath, to the tomb of Jesus, to attend to his body, to make sure that it was cared for well, and to make sure that, it, that humanly speaking, his body rested well. Those are the facts of the matter. But if we're, if we're honest, what's really going on on that Good Friday and that Saturday and that Easter morning is far more than the specific death of a specific man. But it's left them generally wrestling with the idea of death. It's left them wrestling with the idea of what comes after this life. It's left them wrestling with the idea of what comes after all our hopes for this life have been vanquished. What comes after everything I thought I was going to be has fallen away? What comes after everything that I trust and believe in is no more? What comes of me? What becomes of us Where can we look? And so I don't think that I'm reading too much into this story to say that Mary and all those who would show up at the tomb on this particular Easter morning showed up with anxiety, showed up with fear, showed up with brokenness, showed up with confusion showed up with questions, showed up wondering, showed up asking why, showed up possibly even beating their breast and saying, how long, oh Lord, is this going to go on? Were we right or were we wrong? Is he Lord or is he not? How shall we respond? That's how they showed up at the tomb that day, because death is real. Death cannot be and this Easter story begins with death. As Paul Tripp rightfully says, the good news always comes after the bad news. And so here's, here's the point before we move on from death to life. I really believe that death is our connection To the world. I really believe that the question of death is our connection to those who have no time for the Bible, no time for God. No time for conversation about sin and judgment and condemnation and no talk about righteousness and holiness and for those who have no space for people that believe there's a a right and a wrong and no space for questions of am I accepted or not accepted. All the ways that we talk about the gospel, I believe the watching world looks at and they go, eh, whatever. And perhaps... Doubter, skeptic, person of another faith. Perhaps you're here today and going, forgiveness, crosses, Jesus, tombs, whatever. But the reality is believers and doubters, skeptics and followers, men, women, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, and everything in between face death. And the one thing that we have to explain Is the impending death that we face and what that means for us all. And our faith, our scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that's the whole book, is a story of what happens and how we face death. The story is God created, God created humanity good, sin broke the world, sin is what's wrong with the world, sin produces death, but God's Son came to defeat death to take away the curse of sin, to restore humanity, to back how God made it, so that we can walk with him and enjoy him forever. Our faith doesn't have to fear death. Our faith can face death and speak into death because our Savior has defeated death. So before we rush headlong into he's alive because he is, I'm happy because you should be. I have joy because you should. Let's remember that Easter reminds us of the ultimate reality that we all face. It's death. And we would do so much better for ourselves if we would face death and rather than trying to pretend that it's not going to happen. So that diet that you started in January, it is not going to prevent you from dying. It might look better this summer as you swim, but it will not prevent you from dying. That substance that you bought on the internet last night, it might make you feel better in the short run, but it will not prevent you from dying. There is no fountain of youth. We might prolong our lives. We can have healthier lives. We can enjoy this life, but death is coming for us all, and our Savior has defeated And I don't say that glibly, I don't say that as some pastor shenanigan, I say that as a man who stood at the head of too many caskets, looking in the eyes of people who have gone from this life and have been left to wonder, what about me? And what about my family? And what about my kids? And what about my wife? And what about these people that I love dearly? This is an issue of death. And so if you were one of the followers of Jesus, I believe what you would have been wrestling with on that Friday evening where he died, all through that Passover Sabbath and into that Sunday morning, and if you were Thomas, for a whole other eight days, what you would have been wrestling with was, is life possible after Jesus and so when Mary gets to the tomb, what we start to see are glimmers of possible hope. So the second point, is life possible? What we start to see are hints of hope. Mary comes to the garden, and when she gets there, the stone's rolled away. But maybe Mary was like me, and she, her glass was always half empty, maybe three-quarters empty, right? Maybe Mary just went, oh, no, that somebody's gotten in there, and somebody's like... Um, painted graffiti on his body, and somebody's harmed him or or maybe they've stolen his body we got We got more mess to deal with. I thought it was already bad enough, but but now the tomb's open, or maybe it's open for another reason. So Mary sees the tomb, doesn't know what to think, so verse two, she runs back, and she tells peter and and the Verse 2 of chapter 20 says, the other disciple, that's John's way of talking about himself. He also loved to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is a great show of humility by John. And here in a minute, he's going to make sure to point out that he's in better shape and runs faster than John, I mean, than Peter. So, So John's just a great bastion of humility for us. But Mary runs back to Peter and John, and she says, they've taken the Lord. See, her glass is half empty. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and John, they run toward the tomb, and John makes sure to tell us that he got there first, but he also got scared first, because John got there in verse 5, and he stopped, and he looked in, and when he looked in, he didn't see a body. He just saw the cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. And then sometime later, John doesn't tell us how many seconds on, on Peter's 40 time, but Peter gets there, Peter looks in, they go in, And what they find is that Jesus' body is not there. There's cloths, and the cloth that was wrapped around His face, it was folded up neatly and placed over at the side. You know, like you wish your kids would make their beds in the morning, right? Like, Like it was folded up neatly and placed over to the side. But then we're told, this weird thing happens. John believes because he saw... But he didn't understand, so they went home. So that's verses 8, 9, and 10. So, so they, they believe that really his body's not there. They believe that something's going on, but they don't understand that Jesus in the Scripture said, I will die and I will rise again. So, so they go home. Again, is this another negative or is it a glimmer of hope? And so sometime later, verse 11, the passage doesn't tell us if it was 30 seconds or 30 minutes or or a couple hours, but Mary goes back to the tomb, and she's weeping. Why is she weeping? Because of everything we've been talking about. The doubt, the fear, the hurt, the anxiety, the questions, the wondering. She's outside the tomb weeping, and she finally, in her second visit, stirs up the courage to look in. And when she does, verse 12... What she sees is not just the cloth lying there, but she sees two angels. And when the Bible says angels, that would mean heavenly beings. Two heavenly beings in white sitting where the head and the feet of Jesus were. And they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, just a little aside here like, one of the things I can't figure out about the scriptures. Is that every time a heavenly being appears to someone, I'm thinking particularly like the book of Acts, um, I'm thinking of here they ask these questions that, that humanly speaking just don't make any sense, right? Like, like in the book of Acts, like an angel will show up and be like, "Don't be afraid!"!" And here in a minute, Jesus is just going to show up in a room with a locked door and he's going to go, "Peace. Really, peace?" And so here the angels, they look at Mary and they're like, "Why are you weeping?" And you know that Christmas song, Mary, did you know? I know it's about a totally different Mary, but let's just go with it for a minute. Like, like, like I think that she would be like, Do you not know why I am weeping? But she composed herself and she said, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She's filled with doubt. And while to Mary, the angels asking the question, woman, why are you weeping, seems ludicrous, it's actually a proclamation of what has happened. Because the angels know he is not there, the angels know he didn't die. The angels know that every question's been answered. The angels know that every fear has been solved, that every anxiety has been met, that every shame has been covered, that every sin has been forgiven, that death has been defeated. Mary, why are you weeping? Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, if you don't have anything else to do this afternoon, like if you're an empty nester and you don't have an Easter egg hunt to go to, like just Google all the theories of why Mary didn't recognize Jesus and call me tomorrow. We'll have a great conversation about it. Um, But the reality is, is it was probably early. It was probably dark. She was probably crying and Jesus probably didn't look exactly like he did when he had died three days before. I think I just summed it all up there. Having said this, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So, glimmers of hope. Glimmers of hope that maybe something is different. Maybe the story has a different ending. The tomb was opened. The body's not there. The face cloth is folded up. The angels are there. The man slash Jesus slash gardener is asking, What are you looking for? Could it be, could it be that there's life after this death? And then we're told in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. In the particular way that Jesus said her name, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, which means she recognized him, which means that she saw that that was Jesus speaking to her, that he was alive. And then verse 17 tells us that Jesus, notice the first thing Jesus next says, is do not cling to me. Now, now you have to be a really intelligent Greek scholar to figure this out, okay? Why would Jesus tell her not to cling to him? Anybody want to take a guess? Because she recognized who he was, she fell down, she worshiped him, and she was clinging to him. That's why Jesus said, do not cling to me, because Mary saw it. It was no longer unclear. It was crystal clear. The reason his body's not here is not because it's been defaced, not because graffiti has been painted on it, not because it's been hidden somewhere else, not because somebody stole it. It's not here because he is alive. That's why it's not here, and she worshiped it. So Jesus, verse 17 says, Don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. I've not yet gone where I'm going to go. But go and tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and my God. So Mary goes away and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And so now the disciples enter into all this tension. Is this a glimmer of hope or is it something else? Verse 18, on the evening of the first day. On that evening, they were in the room and they were scared And the doors were locked. And they wondered if the Jews were coming after them too. And they've heard Mary say that he's alive. And at this point, they've heard Peter and they've heard John say his body wasn't there. And they're wondering what is going on. And into that, we're told, Jesus comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. So Jesus comes and he reveals himself to his disciples. And he said, Peace be with you verse 20 he showed them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad when they saw the lord and jesus said to them again peace be with you then verse 26 eight days later jesus comes and appears to them one more time for the sake of thomas and we'll talk about this in a minute and says peace be with you and he shows thomas his hands and he shows thomas his sides but the reality is jesus is alive if you're new to the scripture, I'd ask you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What you get there is the most detailed accounting we have in the scripture of all the people who saw Jesus alive. And Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 is, hey, like, like, like you see Bill over there? Right there. Bill, put your hand up. That's Bill. Bill saw Jesus. If you don't believe it, go talk to Bill. That's how Paul's writing 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, and Dustin right here. Dustin, put your hand up. Dustin saw Jesus, so go talk to Dustin, right? Like, that's how Paul's writing First Corinthians 15. So we get this very detailed account of everyone to whom Jesus appeared. He is alive. He's alive. Is life possible after the death of, death of Jesus? Yes, because Jesus has defeated death and he's made everlasting life a possibility. So, because he lives, we love to sing on Easter Sunday, because he lives, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Thankfully, Jesus did the application work What does it mean for us that Jesus lives? So look with me at verses um, 21 through 23. Jesus said to them for the second time, peace be with you. So he shows up and he says, peace be with you. Second time, peace be with you. And then the third time when he appears um, for the sake of Thomas, peace be with you. So first, because Jesus lives, there is real, tangible peace peace. So it doesn't mean peace, love, war, happiness, hippie sixty stuff, okay? And if that was you, that's cool. I may have liked to be with you anyway. But what Jesus is saying is, like, like, like let's just do a little juxtaposition here. A few hours before, maybe even for some of those disciples, a few moments before. Fear, anxiety, questions, doubts, skepticism, wondering, Jesus appears. What does he say? Peace. It's as if Jesus believes that his presence changes things. It's as if Jesus believes that having seen his resurrection and believed in him, it changes things. It, we can say, is the will of God that those who know Christ know a real, tangible peace. We don't have to worry about death because Jesus has defeated death. We don't have to worry about condemnation, because Jesus has purchased our deliverance. We don't have to worry about performing, because Jesus has given us his righteousness. We don't have to worry about being left alone, because Jesus has promised that he'll never leave us, and he'll never forsake us. We don't have to worry about our decaying bodies, because Jesus says that that which is decaying will rise Jesus is saying, if you know me, I bring peace to you. So, Christian, my desire for you today is that you have peace because Christ is alive and he's allowed you and drawn you and caused you to believe in him. So, just do a little barometric work on your own soul tonight. Do I have peace because I know Christ? If not, the answer is run to the cross. The answer is plead for Christ's mercy. The answer is to plead for grace. The answer is for him to pour himself out more upon you. He will do it, but peace, he says, be with you. Second, Jesus says, I send you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So notice what Jesus says. The Father sent me to do a work of fulfilling his word, bringing salvation to God's people, building the kingdom of God. The Father sent me to do this, I've died, I've risen, I'm going away, I send you. So if you belong to Jesus, Jesus is saying, I send you to carry on my mission into this world. Who are the sent ones? Who are the sent ones? The missionaries? No. The people that went to seminary? No. Everyone who belongs to Jesus has been sent by Jesus. To By the way, I believe in Missionaries and seminaries and cemeteries. I had a tongue tie earlier on that. But everyone who belongs to Jesus has been sent by him. Okay, but how do I have peace and how do I have confidence as one who has been sent? Third, Jesus gives the Spirit to lead, guide, minister to and with and empower his people verse 22 and when he had said this he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit in the new testament the holy spirit is is god father son and holy spirit all god three in one Bible scholar, hold on, I thought the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, which is in Acts 1. He did. But what Jesus is saying is, I am going to give to you my spirit who will be with you, who will never leave you, and who will empower you. So Christian, Jesus is saying, because my spirit is in you, I send you and my peace will be upon you. So the answer to the question, how can I have true peace in Christ? It's seek the power of the Spirit the ministry of the Father through the Spirit who applies the Word and applies the Gospel. How do I find confidence and boldness and prayer and willingness and desire to go through the work of the Spirit? And just in case you're unsure what the work was to be done, verse 23 says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Lots of debate here, but just know this. What Jesus is saying is the ministry of the church, the sent ministry of the disciples, is to proclaim salvation in Christ and to invite others to him because those who come to him will be forgiven because it was all accomplished on the cross by Jesus. So Christian, Christian, he's alive. We can trust everything he promised. He is alive, there is eternal hope. He is alive, there is eternal life. He is alive, we have serious work to do. He is alive, his spirit is with us. He is alive, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is alive, he will minister to us. He is alive, he desires that we experience the peace of his presence. He is alive. So if you were here on Good Friday, it's good to see you again. At Good Friday, I I, I just pleaded and begged and belabored. And some of you are hearing, like, oh, no, here we go again. This point, this prayer, that the people hearing the story of Jesus this year at Redeemer Church would be moved, would be changed, would care, would believe, would be motivated, would be shaped, that that we would not just go and, and be like, oh, wasn't that so sweet that they sang some happy songs today? people at Redeemer are usually pretty blah, but today they were happy. That we wouldn't leave and just go, oh, that was a good reminder. Good reminder. By the way, if you want to make me depressed for a week, come up to me after a service and be like, that was a good reminder. Like, we're not in the reminder business. We're in the everlasting life transformed by the power of the spirit business. We don't need more mind. We need more spirit. We need more power. We need more life for the glory of Jesus. And so I'm praying that we'd walk away from here today going, he's alive, and because he's alive, he's at work in me, and he has purpose for me, and his spirit is in me, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and I'm going to be different, and he's going to use me. That's our prayer this morning here at Redeemer. But I know there are some of you that are going, wait, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? Slow your roll. Slow down. I know there are some of you here today who are not sold. I know there are some of you here today who have real questions, real doubts, potentially real unbelief. I know that some of you are only here today because a loved one twisted your arm into being here. I know that some of you are here today because you lost a bet last week. I know that some of you are only here today because Southern people go to church on Christmas, I mean on Easter, when else can we wear our seersucker? And... um, And I just want to say that I'm glad you're here. And I want to say I don't think it's an accident that you're here. And I want to say that I was you at one point. And I want to say that our God has brought you here and that He is not afraid of your doubts or your fears or your questions or your skepticism, but He actually wants to meet you there and minister to you. And I believe that's what verses 24 through 29 are about. Because one of the disciples was named Thomas. He was one of the 12. I mean, he was one of, not, the, so Jesus had, had inner circles, right? Like there was multiple layers to this. And there was the three, and then there was the 12. Thomas was one of the 12. But I get, I don't, we don't know why Thomas wasn't at the first appearance um, on, on the first resurrection Sunday. I don't know, maybe they sent him out for pizza or or maybe it was his day to take out the trash. But for whatever reason, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared. And so he comes back, and they're like, hey, man, Jesus was here. Yeah, right. Unless I touch his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. But here's the crazy thing. What did Jesus done when he appeared to the other disciples? He put out his hands, and he said, touch them. He lifted up his arm and he said, put your hand in here. Because he knew that they had doubts, and he wanted them to believe. So Jesus, who is God, who is everywhere, who knows all things, knows that Thomas has this question. And so eight days later, he appears in the exact same way. And he says, peace be with you. But this time, he singles out Thomas. And I don't believe the tone of voice in verse 27 when Jesus singles out Thomas and says, put your finger here. And put your hand here. I don't think it's condescending. I don't think it's angry. I don't think it's tisk tisk. I think it is you didn't get what your brothers got, and I am here to meet you in your doubt, in your unbelief, and show you that I am alive so that you can be changed too. So, this is what I would say to you, friend, if you're here today. The Lord is eager to reveal Himself. To his creation. You can simply pray, Lord, or if you don't believe he is Lord, God, if you are there, would you allow me to see that you are real? Would you allow me to to understand these claims of Jesus? And would you help me? And I believe that He will. I believe that His Spirit will minister to you. I believe that this church would be excited to walk with you and help you answer such questions and such doubts and such fears. I believe that to be true. And I believe that, that the, the coming of Jesus to meet the doubt of Thomas with this phrase do not disbelieve, but believe is something that God is eager to do over and over and over again. So when Thomas said, my Lord and my God, he believed. And that's what I'm praying for you today. Verse 29. Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what's going to happen in the rest of the Bible story is that Jesus, um, a few months after this, is going to ascend into heaven where he is now. He's going to send the Spirit to empower the church. And he's not going to physically appear on earth anymore until he comes back once and for all, to right all the wrongs and to finalize his kingdom. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't still meet us in our doubts and our skepticism. He does it by the Spirit. He does it by the people whom he sent to testify to the saving power of Jesus. And God gives faith. God gives belief. And I believe a prayer that God would always answer is, Lord, help my unbelief. So if you're here today, as a skeptic, as a questioner, as one who's not sure what to think about all this Easter stuff, I would just say we're glad you're here. we love to walk with you. And I commend to you the example of Thomas because I believe that God will work in that and through that for you. So Father, we pray that you would work in this room now in all the ways that need to be worked. Would you give faith? Would you give hope? Would you give confidence? Would you be at work?